Father, we thank you for this uh, time together. We continue to worship. Our worship hasn't ceased with the, you know, the singing. It doesn't comprise all the worship. The giving of the offerings doesn't comprise all the worship. We continue to worship you by attending to your word, um, by attending to your truth. Um, you know the needs of each one represented in this room today. Um, we pray that you would meet each need according to your glorious riches in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, last week um, we talked about the power of speech. Uh, we considered Proverbs 18:21, life and death are in the power of the tongue. We discussed the importance of speaking in order to strengthen others, in order not to destroy. You know, the power of life and death are in the power of the tongue. We're looking for the Jesus promotes in us, wants from us the power of life. And we focused on how we speak to others. But what about when we are on the end of a tongue lashing? How do we respond? How should we respond when hurtful words are directed at us? We've all been the targets of harsh criticism. We've all received a, ver- a verbal dressing down before. And I'm guessing some of, the, some of you have experienced that just this past week. Maybe even yesterday. Maybe even this morning. Um, biting criticism. You know, a laundry list of all your faults, whether they're true or false. Uh, an apparent contempt for you, uh, fueled, uh, fueling the insults, all conveyed in a tone that is harsh and corrosive and bitter. How do we handle verbal attacks? How do we handle insults? How should we as Christians respond to the verbal contempt of others, to their curses, to their insults, to their mocking? But let's not just focus on the over-the-top verbal barrage, all right? Let's also think about how we respond to the hurtful comment that is generated or given to us by uh, a friend or by a spouse or um, by a neighbor. Uh, Maybe it's just one line. Maybe it's just an off-the-cuff criticism. Maybe they don't even realize that they've just painted you in a bad light in the way they said it. You're talking with your friend. You're having a friendly conversation, and they they just say one thing that really sticks in your uh, gut, so to speak, and they keep on talking like nothing happened, but it's it's there. How do you deal with that? Or you're in a group setting, maybe at a family gathering, or maybe at a Bible study, uh, maybe with some friends or whatever, and you're all talking, and someone says something that puts you in a bad light, and it's a it's a criticism, and maybe they don't even realize that they've said it, and the conversation goes on, but you're not paying attention to what what's going on in the rest of the conversation because that you're thinking about what they just said about you. In front of everybody and it hurts. How do we respond to those kinds of comments also? So today we're considering the whole gamut of hurtful remarks, whether motivated by contempt and hatred or not, whether it's a constant barrage or just a lone comment, whether it's intentional, whether it's unintentional, whether it's delivered by your worst enemy or by your best friend. How should we respond to the hurtful words of others? And to help you think about this question, I just want to show you a few scripture passages. Most of them are printed in the outline in the bulletin. And have you consider each one of them, one at a time, as we think through the kinds of hurtful speech that we usually experience. And maybe right now you can just think about, you know, what, what's the, where, you know, what kind of hurtful speech do you experience? You know, where does that, where does that come from? You know, if it comes from a particular source or whatever, maybe you can be thinking about that. Maybe new ways to respond on how to do that. 
This is not going to be comprehensive. I don't pretend to have all the answers for how to respond to that. We're just going to look at some considerations when it comes to this. So the first passage is from Ecclesiastes 7, 21 and 22. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. This passage got my attention several years ago, so much to the point that I decided I was going to memorize it because I thought this was I thought this was great advice. Um, and it just uh, it just really helped me, not because I hear my servant cursing me. I don't. But uh, but it's that last line that got me for, you know, that many times you have yourself cursed others. That is so true. Sometimes, you know, sometimes people will say something to will say something hurtful to me, you know, and I'm hurt. Let's not mitigate the fact that we hurt when someone says something harsh or critical. And sometimes it's the truth, but sometimes it's not the truth, but it hurts. You know, so let's not mitigate that. Let's acknowledge the hurt. But the truth is that I have also hurt others by saying hurtful things to them. And I have done this many times. I've done it many times. You know, we could do a contest right now. We could have a contest we could take nominations from the floor. We're going we're gonna to find the person at Northside, who attends Northside, who is the most kind, the most considerate, the most gentle person that we can think of. John's raising his hand in the back. Surely you're nominating someone, is that? <laughs> anyway, okay, so we're, we're looking for that person, all right? We could take nominations. We could have five or six people come up here that we think are the most kind, most considerate, most gentle, most soft-spoken, whatever, and then we could pass out ballots and we could vote and we could come up with the person who we think is at Northside, the most kind, considerate, gentle, thoughtful, soft-spoken, whatever. We can give them a trophy. We can give them a sash. You know, it's kind of an inner beauty contest type of thing. So, you know, and, and I most likely I would agree. Yeah, that's the that's the one. That's the person who is the most kind, most considerate, gentle, soft-spoken. So I would know that about them. But I, I would also know one other thing about them that many times they have hurt people with their words. The most kind, the most, not, not you, not, it's not their habit. It's not their custom. But I know what James says, the book of James says, how hard it is to control the tongue. And I know that they have said things that have hurt others. Proverbs talks about uh, our rash words being like a sword, like a sword thrust. You know, I'm confident that, that Mr. or Mrs. or Miss you know, uh, gentle, kind, and considerate here has thrust the sword of their tongue, so to speak, has cut people uh, bad with the things that they have said. Ecclesiastes, this passage here, helps me in processing the hurtful words of others because it reminds me, hey, ding dong, you've done the same thing many times before. Maybe not in exactly the same way, But you've hurt others with your words. And the verse says, you know, that many times you yourself have cursed others. Your heart knows that. My heart knows that. My heart knows that. So what are we to do? The advice of this verse is right at the beginning of the passage. Don't take it to heart. Don't pay attention to it. If it's if it's hurtful and wrong and incorrect, don't take it to heart. Don't pay attention to it. Now, that is easier said than done, right? It's easier said than done. But this verse is giving you permission not to take it to heart. The news, the news media is constantly reporting about someone getting in trouble for what they said. 
or someone demanding an apology for something that was said against them. And certainly people say some very hurtful things. But this verse, to me, highlights the hypocrisy in a lot of that. I can't believe they said this to me. And yet, the reality is that we've said all kinds of things that we shouldn't have said. We've said things that have hurt others. Unintentionally and intentionally. Let's look at another passage. The next one, Proverbs fifteen thirty-one to 32. One who listens to life-giving rebukes will be at home among the wise. Anyone who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever listens to correction acquires good sense. So according to this passage, it is good sense, it is wisdom uh, to listen to criticism. It's wisdom to listen to rebuke. You might learn something. Now, when I read these verses, I imagine a setting where where the person who is criticizing me or giving me a rebuke is someone who loves me and cares about me and someone who is uh, who is trying to deliver this criticism in as loving a way as possible. That's what I imagine. But sometimes it's not always that way. Sometimes the criticism and the rebuke comes in a harsh manner. And sometimes it comes from someone who could who could care less <laughs> who couldn't care less about um, whether I profit from it or not. They just want to rip me to pieces. Um, Several years ago, several years ago, Pastor Ryan took a phone call in his office, and I remember it very well. There's his office right there behind the wall, all right? And it was when he had the big desk in the middle of his office, you know, that was at an angle, and he had, a, he had a phone on the desk because there were no cell phones at the time. That, you know, so this was a long time ago. And I'm standing in his office, and some guy calls him up. And uh, I'm not on the line, but I can hear the guy talking to Pastor Ryan. And he is reaming Pastor Ryan out. He's reaming Pastor Ryan out. Um, and he's talking, and the, the reason he called, he's talking about a guy in our church. Um, let's just call him Frank, okay? Frank in our church who was suffering from a serious illness at that time. And this guy called to say that the church wasn't doing anything for Frank. There Frank is, a part of this church, an upstanding member of this church, and this church isn't doing anything for Frank. What the guy had to say on the phone was just pure acid. It was just pure corrosive. Um, And how he said it was acidic and bitter. And I watched Pastor Ryan take that call. And Pastor Ryan, he didn't get angry. He just listened. He listened. He made a couple clarifying comments along the way just to clarify what the guy was saying. I can tell you that at the end of the phone call, there were two angry individuals. It was the guy who called and me. <laughs> but Pastor Ryan was not upset. He was not angry. He wasn't bitter. What the guy had accused the church of wasn't true. The church knew about Frank's situation. The church was involved in Frank's situation. Well, the church was doing things for Frank. But based on that phone call... Pastor Ryan decided to do more, um, which included a whole new wave of uh, meals being taken to Frank's home, among other things, so forth. So I want you to just three things about Pastor Ryan's response. One, he didn't respond in kind. He didn't respond in kind. The way the way the guy talked on the phone, he could have communicated that way better. If he had an actual if he did have a beef, he, you know, he could have communicated that way better. And he chose a very poor way to communicate it. But Pastor Ryan didn't respond in kind. His voice was very controlled. He was very conversational. He didn't make accusations. He just listed. The second thing is, 
Pastor Ryan sifted truth from air. In that remark, he sifted truth from air. Most of what the guy had to say was just bogus, was plain false. But Pastor Ryan detected a kernel of truth that the church could up its game, so to speak, in ministering to Frank. And rather than dismissing everything that the guy said, he, he profited by what the guy had to say, even though the criticism was coming from a place of contempt and was coming in, a, in an awful way. And then number three about that comment, his example, he was an example to me. He continues to be an example to me. I share that example with you because it's stuck in my mind. And most of you know, my memory ain't so good. But I remember that. I remember that. That has stuck with me. Your gracious responses, when you respond graciously to criticism, when you respond with love to those who generate hate or evil or whatever, that is an example if, if not to anyone else, at least to the person who is talking with you, the, the person who is criticizing you. Proverbs 15.31 there talks about life-giving rebukes. Sometimes life-giving rebukes feel like death. They feel like death. They don't feel like they're giving life. They feel like they're generating death. You know, sometimes the medicine we have to take has a very bitter taste. But not everything that tastes bitter is necessarily medicine. Sometimes it's just pure poison. Sometimes there is no kernel of truth. Uh, two guys were, had stopped, were walking down the sidewalk, and they stopped in front of the shop of a taxidermist. All right, They're in front of this taxidermist shop, and they're looking in the window, and there's this owl on display in the taxidermy shop. And these two guys begin to criticize the way the owl is done. Uh, The eyes are not natural. The wings are out of proportion. The feathers aren't arranged right. The feet could be improved. But then they were interrupted because the the owl turned around and winked at them. All right. (laughs) So some people just don't know what they're talking about. All right. Sometimes when people criticize you, they have no idea what they're talking about. So sometimes there's a kernel of truth and sometimes there isn't. Um. Even in criticism, we weigh and discern what's true and what isn't. Recently, someone, <clears throat> recently someone was having me read some texts uh, on their phone that they had received. And the texts were just biting. Uh, they were ripping, ripping this person up one side and down the other about how this person was supposedly a believer and so forth, but just was obviously a pure hypocrite and so forth. And this person who brought me his phone was showing me this, was lamenting about how painful how painful these texts were, how hurtful these words were. But he also brought those texts to me to ask me, is this true? You know, is this true of me? Um, Was he missing something about himself? Well, from my perspective, he wasn't missing anything. He wasn't missing anything. These texts were not, there wasn't even a kernel of truth in those texts. So, you know, if, there, if there's truth in the tirade made against you, in the complaint, in the hurtful words, profit from it. But then if there's no truth in it, don't take it to heart. Don't take it to heart. Let me show you another verse. 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you are called, so that you may inherit a blessing. As a Christian, when you're verbally attacked, you are not to attack back. When you are insulted, you are not to insult back. Not only are we not to retaliate, we are instead to repay with blessing. We are to seek the good of the one who wronged us. Look at what Jesus says. But I say to you who listen, 
Love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. It's the same kind of message from 1 Peter 3.9. Someone insults you, says something hurtful to you, you don't respond in kind. You respond with good. One of the assumptions, one of the assumptions of these passages is that you have control over your responses. You have control over your responses. It's easy to think that the other person made you do it, that they made you uh, retaliate, that they made you yell at them, that you that they made you insult them back. But that's not true. The words of Peter and the words of Jesus show us that you can control your response. Bless those who curse you. Curse. Someone curses you. Someone insults you. You don't have to respond in kind. Jesus and Peter assume that you can do something different. Stephen Covey has helpfully written, You are response-able. You are response-able. You are able to control your response. Viktor Frankl, Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. How should you respond to the hurtful words of others? You may have to walk away. You may have to count to ten. You may have to increase that space between your between the stimulating insult and your response in order to respond properly. But you don't have to respond in kind. You don't repay evil with evil. You don't return insult for insult. The response that the Lord is blessed is pleased with, the response that the Lord blesses is to do the other person good, to pray for them, to be a blessing to them. So you see, we're not just playing defense when we experience hurtful words, but in fact, we're to go on the offensive in the sense that we are to respond with love. We are to respond with blessing. We are to respond with prayer. Phillips Brooks was a was one of the great American preachers of the 19th century. He wrote the Christmas uh, song, A Little Town of Bethlehem. He was uh, six foot four. He weighed 300 pounds. He was a part of the Episcopal Church. He pastored first in Philadelphia and then in Boston. When Abraham's when Abraham Lincoln's body was lying in state in Philadelphia on its way to Illinois, uh, Phillips Brooks preached a uh, funeral message. Um, about Lincoln. It said of Phillips Brooks that he walked rapidly, he ate rapidly, and he loved to drive fast horses. He was fond of antique furniture, books, travel, sweets, and ice drinks. His cup of coffee began as a cup of sugar, and then the coffee was poured in. In spite of his mother's pleas, Brooks continued to smoke. His ideal vacation was made up of plenty of books and time and tobacco two-thirds of which make a great vacation for me. Um, he, never mar- he never married, and he died at the age of 57. When he died, the pallbearers practiced with a casket filled with 300 pounds of metal. They practiced carrying the casket. It didn't help uh, because when they got to the grave, as they were lowering him, one guy fell into the grave on top of the casket anyway. What I like most about Phillips Brooks is something I heard Chuck Swindoll say about him several years ago, that he was a giant of a man, and it was said of Phillips Brooks that if you wronged him, 
If you wronged him, you would feel the full brunt of, you would experience the full fury of, you would encounter the full strength of his love. If you wronged him, that triggered grace from him. That triggered love from him. That triggered blessing from him and prayer from him. Don't you want people to think that about you? Don't you want to be known like that? As someone who responds graciously even when you're attacked? This reminds me of the end of Romans 12. Verse 21 says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Right. And who knows, as you respond to curses with blessings, it may be that the person insulting you and belittling you will change their tune. The Weissers were a Jewish family who moved to Lincoln, Nebraska in 1991. There's the husband and the wife on the outside uh they had five kids they moved to lincoln nebraska in 1991 immediately they began to be harassed by larry trapp um he was the grand dragon of the ku klux klan in lincoln nebraska and he began uh calling them uh threatening them through the mail uh leaving messages on uh voicemail and so forth that uh they were to leave, that trouble was coming, and so forth. Just all kinds of hatred. Um, well, the Weissers found out that Larry, who's right there in the middle, uh, the, they found out that Larry was confined to a wheelchair uh, and was rapidly going blind to diabetes, due to diabetes, and that he had lost both of his legs, had been amputated, or one of his legs had been amputated. Um, and they, uh, when they found that out, um, Michael Weiser, the husband, called and said, Hey, uh, I know about your situation. You might need help getting groceries. And uh, every week, once a week, Michael would call and just leave a message on his machine saying something, you know, to that effect or whatever. And uh, one time then Larry called and Michael picked up. Michael was actually home. And Larry said, I, I've never experienced anything like what you're telling me. And I want to leave this kind of life. So eventually they brought Michael, they brought Larry into their home and cared for him up until his death. He came, Larry came to renounce his KKK hatred, his KKK associations. He spent the last months of his life seeking forgiveness from Jewish groups, from the NAACP and the many people that he had hated. And he said this, the Weissers showed me such love that I couldn't help but love them back. They showed me such love that I couldn't help but love them back. That's a powerful statement. And that's what Christ calls us to. Another passage, Luke 17, 3. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Or Matthew eighteen fifteen. If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. The Bible does give us permission to confront a person who hurts you. I don't want to give you the impression that you can never point these things out to the one who is hurting you. You certainly can. If it hurts and if it continues, talk to the person about the way they talk to you. Perhaps they are unaware that what they are saying to you is hurtful. You are not required to confront. You are not required to talk to them about it. 
If we talked to every, everyone about every hurtful word they ever said to us, we'd never get anything else done. Certainly, love covers a multitude of sins, and we are counseled by the Bible to bear with the faults of others. But there may be a time when it would be good for you to confront someone in love about the way they talk to you. Many people learn from correction, especially when it's done in love. Many people don't, but many people do as well. And finally, I want to point you to the example of Christ. Luke 23, when they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified Jesus there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. First Peter chapter two, for you are called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. He left us an example so that you should follow in his steps He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was suffering, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. There's our prime example. That's the Lord. He responded to evil with good. He didn't respond in kind to evil. He responded with blessing. He responded with prayer. He responded by doing good for the other. Jesus is not only our example, however, he is also our strength to be able to follow his example. He's the one that gives us the strength to be able to respond with good to evil, with kindness to insults. If you are a born-again Christian, the spirit of Jesus resides in you, enabling you to live according to the will of the Lord, enabling you to respond to hurtful words with kindness, enabling you to respond to hatred with love, Enabling you to be resilient in the face of verbal barrages. That's not automatic. That's not automatic, of course, but the strength is there if you will look to the Lord often and seek to follow him in this way. Psalm 105.4 says, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face often. So, you know, as I was, as I was working through last week's sermon, you know, we talked about, you know, how we should talk to others. I really wanted to say last week something about being resilient when people talk to us, about how we should respond when people talk uh, meanly, fiercely, ferociously, critically towards us. And so that's, that's kind of where this sermon has come from, because the scripture has a lot to say, I think, as you've seen, about how we respond to the hurtful words of others. Not only that we're resilient, but that we go on the offensive, that we can love, that we can bless those who curse us. Yes, the words of others hurt us from time to time, but I think these passages are helpful in helping us to know better how to handle them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the direction of your scripture, for the, for the, for the fact that your scripture takes on so many topics, and this is one of the topics that many of us experience on a regular basis. Help us to respond the way Jesus did. We, we see that in the New Testament. Stephen, just a few chapters later, after Jesus forgives his the people who crucify him, Stephen, uh, one of the first martyrs of the Christian church, is responding in kind to those who, or is responding the way Jesus responded when they were stoning him. And he says, forgive them. He says, forgive them. And that... that um, Example that Christ set in motion has been has been uh, exemplified and acted out 
all throughout church history. Help us to be in that train. Help us to be among those who respond the way Jesus responded, who respond the way Stephen responded. Father, I pray for everyone in this room that you would help each one of us um, to learn how to control our responses and to be able to channel them into more fruitful, uh, fruitful kinds of responses. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.